Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 86. I hope you're having a wonderful week out there. Uh, It is certainly a sad week uh, for all of us in the drumming community. Of course, we learned uh, late on Friday of the passing of the great Neil Peart. Um, Suffice it to say, anyone that has ever even touched a pair of drumsticks, whether they know it or not, were influenced and inspired by Neil's fantastic drumming. Um, The world will certainly be uh, a a different place without Neil, and I think this is one of those delineators in the world of drumming, life with Neil and life after Neil. He was an immensely private person, uh, and of course, we tried to get Neil on the show, and um, he respectfully declined, and now it makes a little bit more sense as he was in the fight of his life. Uh, So rest in peace, Neil. You'll be hearing more from us here at the Drum Shuffle about his life and times uh, in an upcoming episode. Have a fantastic interview for you today. I am going to be joined by one of the young up-and-coming drummers in the United States. Rod Elkins will be joining me from, of course, Tyler Childers and the Food Stamps. Rod is doing fantastic work out there, and we're going to learn a little bit about him and his career right after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. 
All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned in our intro, we're about to be joined by Rod Elkins. Uh, special thanks go out to my friend Jen Tackett for making this introduction. Um, here in Kentucky and, and now nationally, a uh, young man by the name of Tyler Childers is starting to get a lot of attention uh, because of his great songwriting, his great songs. Uh, Tyler is doing some great work, and his touring drummer is a young man from over in Huntington, West Virginia, uh, and I was very pleased to get him on the show and talk all about the cool stuff going on in his life, uh, but please help me welcome to the Drum Shuffle for the first time, Rod Elkins. Hey, good evening, Rod. How's it going, brother? Going great, man. How you doing? I can't complain too much. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, happy new year, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, so, Rod, you guys just finished a, a big run uh, over in eastern Kentucky. You'll have to refresh my memory, but was it was it four nights in a row that you guys did, or how did that uh, it work? Was three, okay, three, two were two were consecutive, and then uh, had a couple days off, and we all came home. It was pretty close to where we live. We all came home for a couple of days and then did New Year's proper. On I got Tuesday. you. I got you. Now that arena over there in Pikeville—that's uh, I, I want to say that's probably a eight thousand seater something like that. I think it's around seven. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, so I mean that's that's pretty a pretty big deal in Eastern Kentucky, and you know for for those of my listeners that that aren't familiar um you know pikeville is about as far east as you can get in kentucky and it's in the middle of the appalachian mountains um but they do have a nice arena over there and you guys did you know three nights uh, right at, at new year's and uh all of the media coverage of it was just incredible i think it was uh, an overwhelming success would you agree with that Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. It was a great time. They treated us really well. And uh, yeah, everything was everything was really great. Tip top. That's fantastic, man. Well, so um, I, I, let's rewind just a little bit. I want everybody to kind of hear a, about, you know, where you're from and, and how you got started into drumming. Um, you're a West Virginia native, correct? Yes, sir. Huntington, West Virginia. Okay. Well, I'm just across the river from all you guys <laughs> yeah yeah it's not far at all and, and my wife is actually originally from ashland so um oh cool yeah yeah so i mean it's re- literally your backyard is where my wife grew up so uh, absolutely it's it's a small world now um growing up in in huntington you know i i'm in central kentucky but you know there a lot of people would think okay huntington west virginia probably not a big music hub but Actually, back in the day, there were some great clubs in Huntington. I used to play at the Monkey Bar all the time in the late 90s and early 2000s. You know, oh, so, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. There's a lot of kinds of, there's still, uh, you know, a couple. We got the V Club still, and uh, we've uh, cut our teeth there. And uh, uh, Shamrocks over by the stadium used to be Marlin's Dog House. Yeah. Yeah, we did a lot, uh, a lot of, a lot of picking over there, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, now you you grew up in a musical family, is is that right? I mean, your dad's a musician. Yes, sir. Yes, he is. He's a guitar player. He's been a guitar player my whole life, and uh, I started playing drums with him when I was twelve. And his uh, country band, the Elkins Brothers Band. Oh, so that's they, awesome. 
played all over and um actually was just talking to dad the other day and my uncle dave it was him uh, my uncle dave uh my dad and uh my dad's identical twin brother ronnie uh they had a band and it was guitar guitar and singer and bass and uh and they all sang really great three-part harmony and i was talking to them the other day uh my uncle ronnie's no longer with us but uh I was talking to Dad and uh, Uncle Dave, and they were talking about how they were the house band at at the Rockdale Jamboree in Cannonsburg. And (laughs) I was like, what's that? You know, because it's not around anymore, and they were telling me about it. And I guess they did about six, eight months there, and they said Ricky Skaggs and uh, Keith Whitley and Ralph Stanley and the Osborne Brothers were coming in and playing, so... He uh, he sat in with Tom T. Hall a few times and Tennessee Ernie Ford and you know he exposed me to a lot of great music as a kid. Man, that's awesome. I mean, that's just kind of a who's who of you know Eastern Kentucky music right there. I mean, I, all those guys. Yeah, and like no, and they didn't know at the time, you know what, uh, you know what uh, Keith Whitley and Ricky was going to mean to everybody today. Yeah, you know they didn't think much of it. They just thought they were two kids that were really good. <laughs> yeah. It was about 1970 before they, before they, uh, hitched up with, uh, Ralph Stanley and them. So yeah, he said, uh, he said, Keith Whitley, talk your ear off. Rick <laughs> would just sit there and play guitar and he wouldn't say a word. <laughs> <laughs> that, that doesn't surprise me a whole lot to be honest with you, you know, yeah. uh, that's, yeah. that's fantastic. But I mean, we have such a, rich musical tradition in Eastern Kentucky, West Virginia, you know, uh, Western Virginia. Um, The Appalachian music is, um, you know, everybody always points to bluegrass, but there's tons of great country artists. There were a lot of good rock bands that came from this area. So it's a different scene, no doubt, but growing up in that way, uh, I, I'm sure music is just in your blood, right? Yeah, sir. People tell me that, and uh, I'm starting to believe them a little bit. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it was. It was. I was always around it, going to clubs with my dad before I could get into clubs, and uh, watching them, just being mesmerized by the whole thing. Yeah, and especially the drums and uh, the way they sang, and just meeting people and getting to talk and hang and learning a lot before I even knew I was learning anything. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. So, and it was awesome. And I was, I always took music classes in school at the time. So I was in the school band from sixth grade until, well, I went to college for music too. So till about, I don't know, about six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so. <laughs> you know, you're, you're out on the road, man. You're still taking musical lessons. You just, <laughs> You're just not paying for Absolutely. them anymore. I'm learning a lot from everybody we run into and people that open for us or we open for them and getting to hang out with people like Larry Keel or meeting up with Sturgill and saying hey to him, yeah. you know, and having Miles. Miles kind of came and played a few dual drum tours with us and learned a, learned a buttload from him. Yeah, he's... And, uh, He's a monster, man. Great. Like I was saying before we started the interview, I mean, I can remember Miles as, you know, like a middle school age kid. You know, I, I played with his older cousins in a band in the in the late 90s. 
And I can remember Miles mm-hmm. hanging around as a little kid and he was all about it then. You know what I mean? And he, just tearing it up. So it's, I, I just think we have so much heritage, you know, in this part of the country. Uh, the, the music runs deep. You know, it may not be Iron Maiden or heavy metal or whatever, but we have a great musical heritage, no doubt about it. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And there's still some good music to be had around here. Um, you know, with people like the local honeys and the band Ona here in Huntington. And, yeah. you know, we've, uh, we, uh, I felt fortunate to come up when I did, you know, meeting, uh, people and, uh, cultivating a nice scene here, you know, when people didn't think we had one. And it was just kind of after like the, kind of after the, uh, heavy metal, uh, phase that Huntington went through there in the 90s, late 90s and stuff, and, you know, people didn't uh, know what to do, really, and uh, we, uh, we 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 all just kind of banded together. It wasn't really a contest, which was what the, the good thing was. We were all just really good, uh, quote-unquote, bubs. We were all just good friends and liked to see ourselves do well, and we'd always go to each other's shows and stuff, so that was... That was that was really great. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And I mean, that's the way a good scene should work. I mean, there should be friendly competition, no doubt about it. You know, but yeah, and that's essentially what it was. You know, it's like, oh man, I want to kill it last night. We have to kill it exactly, night. exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you take somebody else's success and turn that into motivation for yourself. You, you know, I, I, I've always said, you know, you don't root against somebody because there is karma in the universe. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And it was all, uh, you know seeing it like our friends get up and do do the thing was more inspiring than um you know than it was i don't know if the word i'm looking for here than it was just like uh let you down you know like oh i can't do that right you know? it was more just like heck yeah man i want to go practice now i want to i want to be that good yeah no doubt man that's fantastic so as a youngster, uh, you know, in West Virginia, I, you know, I know you started playing at an early age and, and you're quite a bit younger than me. So, you know, I, I'm not going to give away anybody's age here, but, you know, who, <laughs> who were some of those first influences? You know, who who were the guys that you were trying to emulate as a beginning drummer? Oh, at the very beginning, I was just trying to keep good time and make my dad happy <laughs> because uh, he would always tell me, he was like, you need to kiss them drums, boy. And I'm like, what are you talking about, dad? And he'd say, keep it simple, stupid. That's right. I was like, okay. <laughs> you know? And I would just try to do that much as I could. Yeah. And then, uh, and then it got into the band and Leave on Helm. Oh, I just okay. wanted to be as much like Leave on Helm as I could. Never quite got there. But, <laughs> you, you, well, no offense, but you never will because I mean, leave on, you yeah, know, absolutely. I, I, I've <laughs> said this a billion times that style can't be taught. I think you just have to be born in Turkey scratch, Arkansas to, to do what he did, you know? Absolutely. But he was the first, him and Steve Gadd, you know, were like the first two drummers I really wanted to be like. And, um, uh, you know, still never scratched the surface on either of them, but uh, maybe got more out of it than just playing and style than uh, 
then, you know, I think, you know, then yeah. just in my hands and technique, it's, it's more or less like an attitude, I guess. I kind of learned from them, you know, how to play with a song as opposed to to a song, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's, you know, that I think that's a really hard lesson for a lot of drummers is playing for the song. You know, I, 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 you know, I struggle with it still to this day and I've been playing 30 years. You know, I always listen back and go, hmm, I may have overdone it there a little. You, you know what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. It's, um, ego is the word I use, but I don't think everybody has an ego, but it's really like the drummer's ego. You feel like, I've been playing this groove for a while. Maybe I should do something. Yeah. Not always the case. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a real hard lesson, you know, and I've just talked to so many great drummers, you know, over the years and through this show that say, you know, the the most important notes in any song are the ones you didn't play. (laughs) Yeah, buddy. I believe that. I believe that. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes less is more for sure. Well, so I, I would imagine, you know, your peers as, as a young drummer, you know, your experience is a little different in that you weren't forming garage bands with your middle school buddies. You were actually out playing with your dad, which is kind of unique. I was doing it. I was doing it all. I was doing the academic. I was playing with my dad and I was trying to do something myself in a garage with my friend. I got you. I got you. Craig. Craig Berlanic, the bass player in the food stamps, he was in that garage with me. <laughs> I got you. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I, I was just going to say, though, I mean, as a young guy, you know, I, my influences were, you know, Alex Van Halen, Tommy Lee, uh, you, you, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? It, 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 Lars Ulrich, everybody had the same kind of core drummers, you know, all my drummer friends did you feel like the odd guy out when you said, I really want to, to, you know, play like Levon Helm? I mean, did a lot of your friends go, who's that? <laughs> well, the Levon came later. Levon came after high school. I gotcha. Before that, it was just a little, uh, I never gravi- gravitated toward the Lars or anybody like that, or like Tommy Lee. I didn't really listen to rock music until my senior year of high school. Oh, okay. So I, I was you. always like, um, listening to Waylon and Merlin, and it was just like didn't really know who those drummers were, but there was this there was this feeling and this groove that you know I wanted to do that, I whatever that is, and we're going to keep trying until maybe it sounds like that. <laughs> okay, you know? yeah, that's that's fair enough. Um, but it was a little just like you know it, I was I did feel a little odd man out ish, and you know I tried to like. You know, follow my friends a little bit with the music they were listening to, and be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's cool." And but have you heard this Buck Owens record? <laughs> and everybody being like, "What's that?" I'm like, "Oh, uh, Buck Owens, and it's the greatest." <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, you know, here's a funny story. I was uh, I was in Nashville. This has been I don't know five or six years ago. I was in Nashville and went into Robert's Western World one night, and this great band was playing. Uh, I, I can't remember Monty Good, maybe, and the Honky Tonk Heroes. I think that's what they were called. And mm-hmm. you know, I was watching the drummer, and I was like, "God, that guy looks so familiar, so familiar." Well, they take a break, you know, and I, I walked up and introduced myself, 
And uh, he was like, my name's Willie Cantu. And I was like, oh, my God, like Willie Cantu from the Buckaroos. And, and he was mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure enough. So, you know, I yeah, mean, that happened to Craig last time we played the Grand Ole Opry. He, uh, he went and met up with a friend at the Nashville Palace. And there's Willie Cantu playing drums at the Nashville Palace. Man. And I opted to go to bed. <laughs> I was like, well, we were there last night. I'm just going to take it easy. And sure enough, yeah. well, I, it's, <laughs> the day you decide to go to bed, the day you miss it all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's a super nice guy. And, you know, but I, I guess my point is once it's in your blood, you're you're going to find a way to do it. You know what I mean? And yeah. and, and he's, I mean, Willie's got to be in his 70s, I would think. And he's still, yeah, has to be now. you know, still out there doing it. And, you know, that's just a cool experience, you know, to get to meet guys like that. Um, so I, after you got out of high school, now correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, I've done a little bit of research, but you went to Marshall. Uh-oh. Is that right? <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. Yes, so, sir. And you did jazz studies at Marshall, right? Jazz studies. Okay. Yeah. All yeah, right. I started out as just a uh, percussion major and did that for a few years and then uh, took a break around 08 and came back and was kind of bored with that whole uh, playing in orchestras and stuff. And yeah. uh, I mean, it was fun and stuff still, but, you know, it wasn't, wasn't really what I wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, then realized, you know, we have a jazz program and I could play drums every day in school, play drum set, and, you know, take all my other classes, too, and I started doing that, and it was a first for them. They never had a, uh, they never had a uh, person with an emphasis in drum set before, so they were, we were kind of testing the waters and feeling it out as we were going along, you know, maybe you should take this course and this course, this will help with this, and, you know, so... That's kind of what happened, and fell in love with jazz, and you know, the, garnered a deep appreciation for it. Yeah, well, and I would imagine that you know that stuff helps. You know, I, I'm not a huge jazz head. I love listening to it. You know, don't get me wrong, yeah. but I can't play it to save my life. I mean, I just you know, I don't understand that whole comping with the left hand, and you, you know, it's it's just not something I'm comfortable with. Um, but I would imagine that doing the, the jazz studies really helps with chart reading and, and all of those things that, that come along with jazz. I mean, I, and I would assume that you're using some of that stuff to this day. Yes, sir. Um, especially if, um, you know, if I get called to play with somebody that's, it's a quick turnaround, I can listen to the record, chart it out real quick. Yeah, and have something to look at if there's no rehearsal or anything. I can follow charts and read music, you know, and so that's helpful. You know, um, played with Lando Eugene Murphy Jr. a couple times, and that was like, a, here's the book, <laughs> shows at eight, you know. <laughs> Good luck. And uh, it's like, cool, uh, we'll have a set list during sound check. And, you know, I've done that a couple times, and the really the most invaluable thing I learned at Marshall other than just like being as prepared as possible with the time you got is being thrown into so many situations that I normally wouldn't have been in and being forced to play three, four nights a week, different music and playing on other people's recitals and 
doing this combo concert and then we gotta go do the big band concert like next week and every night and then having concert rehearsals every night you know and learning how to manage your time was super invaluable to me yeah and just getting hours and hours and hours of playing under your hand in you know a few years yeah yeah well probably more than if you just tried to do it by yourself you know i mean I could do I could uh, do without that student debt right now, but uh, <laughs> you know that I learned a lot. I can't I can't say I didn't learn anything. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you know some guys are are born to practice, and, and I I mean that with all due respect. And and what I mean by that is there are guys that would rather get in their practice space and shed all day than anything else. I am not wired that way. I have to schedule time to practice, right? And and I will yeah. find everything else in the world to get done before I go sit down and shed for an hour or whatever. But when you're in that structured environment where, like you said, you have to be ready for, you know, this ensemble or, you know, the jazz concert or whatever it is you're doing, you're forced to get that that time in on the kit, which is good for some guys. It would be great for me. Yeah, I had a professor say this is the most you're ever going to be able to practice in your life, so you should go practice. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I didn't believe him until uh, until here recently. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm actually, you know, you're trying to use this time off. Uh, now, you know, we have a couple of weeks off since New Year's and getting down to about six, seven days left of it. And, had my kids coming up since we've been home and, you know, kind of going back through some of the jazz stuff because I haven't played jazz in a few years. Yeah. And in any real capacity. So just, you know, the independence of your limbs that comes with jazz is, I think it's, it's such a nice foundation for anything else you want to do. I agree. That, you know, that it's, it's great. And so just trying to do that and just trying to honestly, trying to keep up on brushes with the Osborne brothers, Ruby is what I've really been trying to do. <laughs> That's not cooked. <laughs> yeah. I man. But I'm the same way when it comes to rehearsing, um, some weeks, some days, I'm all about it. Just the all I want to do. I have the attention span of about 45 minutes to an hour. Okay. And then I have to get up and do something else. I hear you. You know, and so my two hours a day gets split into 30 minutes, do something else, maybe come back for an hour, do something else, get about 20 more minutes, I'm done. Yeah. You know, I don't like to play much more than like two hours a day. I don't get two hours a day to play all the time, so I'm really trying, even if I'm going to break it up like that, to really focus in on keeping my limbs fresh, getting some independence back. You know, we've been, I'm not saying we're, we play the same songs every night, but, you know, for a little bit, we've been playing a lot of the same songs. So you're going to get used to doing the same thing. I mean, when you try to do something different, your body doesn't really know what to do. Yeah. So that's why I'm trying to just kind of like shock my body a little bit. Yeah, I, I hear you. You know, and I, you know, I've we've had the conversation on this show with other drummers, you know, I mean, I, it, there's a lot of guys that bag on guys that play in cover bands, but 
you know, the, the set list is different every night when you're in a cover band. Whereas if, you know, depending, and I know Tyler's not really this way, but if you're in, you know, a, a, a certain, I don't know, country group someplace, you're going to play the same 25 songs every night for a year. And there will be no deviation from that. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. like you said, I, that's when bad habits form, you know, you, you, you get lazy. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, we don't necessarily play the same songs every night. There's, you know, definitely songs that we have to play every night, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, I'm not saying that in a bad way or anything, but, um, but yeah, you know, he Tyler does really well at keeping us fresh and, uh, putting songs like, Hey, let's run this song. Let's do this. Or let's bring back this old song we used to do, you know, before, you know, all this. And so that's really nice, you know, and then you realize some of the bad habits you had in a song that you hadn't played in a while. And it's nice just from a fresh perspective, but yeah, like I said, just uh, opening up my lens and exercising maybe, you know, my hi-hat foot again yeah. for a little while is is what I've, you know, been into. And you were talking about chatter on the snare drum. That's actually what I was doing before you called. Yeah. <laughs> There's this book I picked up when we were in Washington and uh, it's like Mel Bay's like jazz drummer cookbook or something. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was just going through... Uh, chatter exercises <laughs> those different rhythms in your left hand keeping the uh, swing pattern on the on the right <laughs> yeah man that stuff is I, I mean it's amazing and you know it, could I fake my way through a jazz gig I could definitely fake my way through one would any jazz drummer in the audience go man I could do that 10 times better every single one of them would <laughs> you know what I'm saying so it's yeah. uh, I just you know, I had Peter Erskine on the show, you know, and one of the arguably wow. one of the greatest jazz drummers of all time. And he was yeah. like, you know, the older you get, the more into jazz you're going to become. He was like, because we all go back <laughs> to our roots, you know, and and, mm-hmm. I, and I think there's some truth to that. No doubt about it. But um, so, hey, Rod, talk to me a little bit about. Um, you know, I know that, that you had a band that was very successful down in Huntington, you know, post-college years uh, called Deadbeats and Barkers. And you guys did, you know, a, a lot of gigging. I think you even mentioned it, uh, Shamrocks. You guys were there like Sunday nights. You did a residency there. Um, yeah, we did like 65 or 70, you know, somewhere in there, one of those numbers, uh, consecutive. Wow. I mean, that's, that, yeah. that's a lot of gigging, you know, and you, and you, I know you picked up a lot during, during that time, but is, is that the gig that kind of directly tied you up or, or got you introduced to Tyler and his music? It was with uh, dead beats. It was not at Shamrock though. Um, it was during college by the way. So we were like doing these jazz things and then playing on Sundays and then, going out and, you know, getting over to Lexington at the Green Lantern or uh, yeah. the Smelling Skull in Athens, Ohio. We were doing that while we were in college, too. Okay. And it was, uh, there was a, a one-year anniversary party. There was, there was a bar called Shoots on 4th Avenue. And um, our buddy who ran it and bartended, uh, Jack Browning, book Tyler to open and we knew who Tyler was. We'd 
seen him play and we're just amazed by him, you know, and he opened up for us. We were just like, dude, you need a band, man. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. I was like, man, you're incredible. Like, just think about it. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, Jack was like, man, it'd be really funny if y'all did a country cover band and called yourself the food stamps. <laughs> so we kind of toy, toyed around with it for a little bit. I mean, I would, all of us would go see Tyler play. He was in small batch, you know, um, uh, playing with him and he'd roll through town and, he would do open mics, make sure to go see him. You know, that's back when he was still doing the Adele cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And wearing bow ties and stuff. And we were just loved it, man. It was like, this, this is what we want to do. I mean, at least for me, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I want to play to those songs. You know, because they were just, everything's off the charts. And I love country music that much. And you just hear it. You know, it's like, that's what I want to play to. So it was, it was pretty much that. And then, um, I uh, I uh, booked us without asking for this uh, Buckle Up Music Festival in Cincinnati, Ohio. And it was like the first one, like Country Music Festival. The email said 50,000 people. So I'm telling telling all the boys, guys, we're going to play in front of 50,000 people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously that was not the case. Yeah. <laughs> when we got there, we're on another stage somewhere else. And uh, <laughs> he was like, well, we can't play covers at this. We had done, like, someone's birthday party and played some covers. You know, I think it's the first time we did Trudy and did some Hank Williams and other stuff like that. And so he was, well, let's work up these songs then. And uh, did Feathered Indians, all such stuff. And uh, that's when we got introduced to Sturgill. You know, uh, Meta Modern had just came out. Yeah. And he was playing the main stage right after us. So we were about half a mile to a mile away on another stage. So as soon as we got done, we're hot-telling it over there to see Sturgill, and that's the first time we saw him. And then uh, Marty Stewart played after that on the stage next to us, so it was back toward the other direction. And that set alone changed my life. It was 2014, it was raining, and he, they were all dressed to the nines, they come out in these purple suits, <laughs> and he doesn't say a word, and just says, Stop the world and let me off, <laughs> and they just go into Stop the World and Let Me Off by Waylon and start playing all these great country songs, covers, Merle, Buck Owens, and then he starts playing his songs, you know, Hillbilly Rock, Tempted. And then they do a little gospel thing. And funny thing was, was we had ran out of beer behind <laughs> our stage. <laughs> and Tyler was like, you think Murray Stewart's got some beer back there? Oh, God. Here I'm we like, go. I'm pre- and I was like, I don't know, man, maybe. So he hops up behind their stage. It was like, there was like a dock, like a shipping dock behind their stage, you know, where like a truck could pull in. Right. And uh, so he hops up there, and I was like, well, you can't go alone. <laughs> so there, and we just pour ourselves. It was like a little uh, igloo cooler with two taps on it. I got the picture somewhere. I mean, him getting getting a beer out of there. And uh, <laughs> we just kind of fill our cups and just kind of turn around. And there's Marty and all the superlatives, and we just start talking. And I mean, I decided then 
that's what I'm doing with the rest of my life. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you, man. That's... In some form or another. Man, that's, that's... what's happening. We got a picture and talked to him, and he was great. Played with him once, since. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, man, it's that was that was kind of it, and just kind of started doing little gigs here and there. Here we are now, post, you know, 7,000-seater arena. Yeah. In Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I mean, and that's how these things happen. And, you know, Tyler is, uh, and, and, you know, just for the record, I have never met Tyler. I, you know, I've obviously I've seen him play, but I've never met him. I've been in the same room with him, but I didn't want to bother him during lunch or whatever. You, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, absolutely. he, he is, um, I put him in the same um, category as I would a Jason Isbell, a Chris Stapleton, a Sturgill Simpson. He is an artist. He is not just some mm-hmm. some guy that writes songs and sings them. There's something more about it, you know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what that, you know, unspoken thing is. But he is a true artist, and I think. Yeah. His songs are just so honest, and you know they come from a real place. He's not just, you know, going through his rhyming dictionary trying to, you know, come up with something that sounds good. He writes from experience, and it's really cool, and it's almost unfair that a cat that young can be that good that fast. Oh, it sucks. I hate him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In the nicest way. No, I'm... uh... It's uh, it's definitely he's one of the most um, prolific writers, in my opinion, of our generation. And um, boy, hasn't uh, come about it easy, you know. And I mean that like he's worked his butt off, you know. And I've I've been lucky with some of the other boys in the band. Of I've been there, yeah. Um, either hanging out with him or being in the band with him to see how much how hard he works and he cares about it and. You know, he cares about every song he puts out and he's you know, he's um he's one of my best friends, you know. That's awesome. So, That's awesome. And you yeah. know, I mean I just think you know, I I think some people who who maybe aren't from these parts, you know, and uh, I I jokingly, you know, kind of said to myself, this will be kind of like a hillbilly summit between me and Rod. You know, we got the Kentucky and the West Virginia, you know, it's going to be great. <laughs> but yeah, man. But uh, you know, I for some people that aren't from here, calling your band the food stamps is not only funny, but it's also really serious at the same time. You know what I mean? I th- I think it sends that that dual message of Tyler Childers and the food stamps, right? It's right. it is a reflection on where we're all from. You know, Eastern Kentucky, West Virginia, you know, uh, uh, southeastern Ohio, some of the highest poverty levels in in the country in, in our neck of the woods, so to speak. And I think Tyler keeps it real. You know, I mean, he talks about those things, not like he's ashamed of it, but that's just a fact of life. And I think it resonates with people. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, I could, I could see that. I could see that. Uh, I know I definitely never thought too much about it. I always just thought it was funny. Yeah, we're right. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, we've definitely, uh, caught some guff on that a few times, you know, 
people thinking we were maybe exploiting the poor or something like that. And it's like, that is not the case. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, we just thought it was funny. <laughs> well, sure. You know, but, uh, but no, I mean, everything you said is, uh, you, know, you definitely nailed it there, I believe. And like I said, I don't, I don't really have an opinion on it one way or the other. Well, to be honest. Case in point, you know, and the media made something of this here locally. I don't know how far out it got. So for those of you listening, you know, in California or Canada or or England or wherever you may be, you may not be aware of this. But after, you know, you guys did the shows in the arena in Pikeville, you know, somebody snapped a picture of Tyler helping the custodial staff clean the arena. Okay. Um, and, and I'm sure you've seen something about that, but that's the kind of guy he is. He was like, okay, it's, you know, it's new year's. These people are having to stay and clean up after my band played a show. I'm going to pitch in and, and help them sweep the floors. I, I don't think you would find that with many other artists. I really don't. Most definitely. He, uh, I think he thought, you know, I made the mess, you know, <laughs> yeah. I uh, probably should help clean up a little bit and, uh, personally, I didn't know he was out there for the longest time, or maybe I would have jumped in there and helped him. But we were we were getting our gear together and putting it, uh, you know, in another van to take home and all that sort of stuff. But but yeah, that is how that is the guy he is, man. He thinks about that kind of thing. He he definitely cares and thinks about other people too, you know, and not just himself. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that you know is sorely missing from from our industry at times. Not saying everybody doesn't worry about that. But I just thought it was really cool to see a picture of him pushing a broom on the arena floor right after he got done playing. You know, I mean, that's pretty. Yeah, it definitely was great. I was, uh, I was definitely humbled by it when I found out he was out there, you know, and was like, well, good for him, man. You know, and, and, uh, you know, we all probably should have went out there and helped him, but, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, we were, we're getting other things together. <laughs> yeah, you, you you didn't just leave your gear to your team of roadies, right? I mean, it, <laughs> oh yeah, we got a team of roadies. Where are they at? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Somebody yeah. somebody asked yeah, where me. Where are they at? Somebody asked me one time. They were like, "Who's your drum tech?" And I was like, "You're looking at him." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're looking at. You're talking to to uh, Rod Elkins' drum tech and uh, that's right. and the uh, gear maintenance man and mover. And <laughs> <laughs> you're looking at him. <laughs> oh, isn't it so true? You know, I, I guess people just assume, you know, oh, he's playing in an arena. He's, he's got a full crew. It, it doesn't work that way anymore. It, may... no, it doesn't work that way. You got to pay that said crew. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and you definitely don't want to bring anybody out for peanuts. So maybe one day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we definitely, uh, we've been fortunate in the sense that we've played, we've been able to play bigger places and in the theaters and now arenas. Uh, we've done a couple and we'll get ready to do some with Sturgill that a lot of these places come with in-house crew, stage crew, right? that do carry our stuff in and out. But as far as like setting up and clearing down, that's all on us. Yeah. And quite frankly, I like doing that. It's, I mean, time me, you know, <laughs> eight eight to twelve minutes. I got it. I got it up and I'm banging around and tuning a little bit. I don't play much, you know. I got a lovely classic maple uh, four piece, twenty twelve fourteen, two cymbals, hi hat, 
that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're you're not rolling in with the uh, with the Neil Peart setup uh, or anything like that. No, I left my double bass in my other pants. <laughs> most days, <laughs> it's all good. Well, you know, you, you you mentioned Ludwig, and you know, Uli Salazar and Josh Touchton are both really good friends of the show, and and really good friends to me. Um, you know, I, I think that's one of the coolest things when, when you end up in a gig where you start playing more and more, um, you do get support from companies like Ludwig or, or you know, whomever, Promark, Vic Firth, you know, I, I don't know who all you endorse, but, um, you know, it, it just makes, it's one less thing you have to worry about. And I, one of the things that I'm constantly asked about is, you know, how do I get an endorsement? How do I get an endorsement? And, you know, we've talked about it on this show before, but I, I want to get your perspective on this. Um, they didn't show up at your house with free drums, right? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and, not at all. <laughs> right. And, and you didn't get anything for free, right? No, okay. not at all. <laughs> so yeah, the the deal is, you know, actually, we, we all play our our preferred gear, you know, and and you're a Ludwig guy, so I'm sure you approached them and said, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm doing all this cool stuff. I'd love to work with you." Is is that kind of how that went? Yeah, well, uh, I've been chasing them for a minute. Um, I haven't talked to Yuli personally. I sent him a message too, so if he's listening, that was me in your. Uh, in your in your DMs there, probably about three months ago. <laughs> but um, now I had a, a mutual friend uh, uh, with a guy at uh, at Ludwig who was like, "Man, you you need to you need to be with Ludwig." Yeah, I was like, "Man, I love Ludwig drums. I just bought a new one, you know." Because um, I was playing on some Tays for years. Okay. It was a sweet kit. It was free. You know, it was actually a buddy of mine's, and it was just in his garage, uh, just kind of getting sun damaged. And I was like, don't do that. Yeah. And uh, I was in between kits. I had a 70s Ludwig at the time, and uh, it was like a 2213, uh, 16, uh, uh, Gold Sparkle Classic, late 70s. And, uh, excuse me. And, um, it had granitone in it. You ever heard about that? Oh, sure. Yeah, man. I had a bunch of Ludwig standards that had that granitone interior stuff. Yeah. Maybe it was a standard then. Maybe I misspoke. Maybe it was a standard I had, um, got bought it off the internet and, uh, uh I just didn't like that granitone. It just kind of choked off the, the sound for me. And so I sold it, and I was just kind of sitting with the with the cash, like oh, I'm gonna get something else. I was gonna get another Ludwig. Wound up with those Tays. Really liked how they sounded. I'm a 2012-14 kind of guy. Okay, I figured that out in my in my in my years. Um, big drums don't do much for me, but um, yeah, it was. I played that for years, and then bought this Ludwig that I have now back in June and then was talking to a mutual friend who knew a guy. He played in a band with a guy that worked at Ludwig and he was like, I'll hit him up for you. And so that's basically all. Well, he was like, just, he just said, email him and you guys can talk. And so that's all we did. We just talked about it. And 
That's cool. Well, he sent me an offer, and I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, that is it. Yeah, and I, you know, I think what's lost on people is, you know, it, it's not about getting, you know, new gear every month or whatever. And and I've had this conversation, I don't know how many times. It's when you go to Europe, you don't pay three thousand dollars to ship your drums overseas. You show up and you backline a kit from Ludwig, right? I mean, it's it, they they have that yeah. that network to provide you what you need on those European gigs and things like that. That's where it pays dividends. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, um, my friend Ryan at Ludwig is who I talked to, uh, Turovic, I think is how you say his last name. Um, he, uh, he took care of me when we did, uh, when we did, uh, Seth Meyers this last time yeah. and, uh, CBS morning. So that was the same kit, but he was the man behind the scenes. That was like, this guy needs a Ludwig. You know, yep. and our production manager that we have, our sound guy, who kind of production manages too. Um, they were talking, and they uh, they fixed me up, and that's that's the way I look at an endorsement, man. Uh, I look at it as a as a player, it is you are endorsing this product because you believe in that product, and it makes you sound the best you can sound, the best of your ability. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it's. Um, you do have to believe in it. I feel like to endorse it, it's not about free stuff. It's not about, uh, I mean, discounts are great when you're playing all the time, but how many times are you going to be buying drums? That's right. You know, daily, you know, and it's, it's like, man, it's really a support system. I don't necessarily hit them up for things all the time. It's, it's really like, okay, I'm took care of already. Yeah. You're there if something happens. That that's exactly right. And you know, when you're in Omaha, Nebraska, getting ready to do a show and you've got, you know, something broke, you don't have to go chase down a guitar center two hours away. You know, you, you can call somebody and say, Hey, I need you to overnight me a cymbal stand or something like that. You know, that's Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's um it's really for me too, it's like I've always loved Ludwig and I've um I mean, honestly, it's been a dream come true to be on their website and be among their roster of so many great players yeah. that play Ludwig because uh, going back to my dad playing and then practicing in someone's living room, and this guy had a, a jelly bean kit. Um, I took that from another drummer buddy of mine. It's just a mixed match kit. Yeah. You know, it's just different callers so he called it a jelly bean kit i really liked how it sounded so he had a jelly bean kit and it was it was ludwig it was all ludwig drums it was all different like 60s and early 70s drums put together and i just thought that sounded that was just the coolest sounding kit yeah you know and then as i got older played on i've played on hundreds of kits different companies and everything you know and it's always it's always been Ludwig, man. That's the, the the kit that excites me. It's the it's the kit that inspires me. It's the kit that I think sounds the best. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I agree. And I mean, I endorse a different company. You know, I endorse a, a uh -huh. small custom builder called Bowie Custom Drum out of Bowie, Maryland. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. And, I, yeah. you know, I've been with Kevin and Bowie for, gosh, man, uh, I don't know, six, seven years now. And I've bought one kit 
in that time. You know, that's just all I need. But, you know, and it's a very open and honest relationship. And, you know, I buy Ludwig snare drums all the time. You know, they come out with a new snare drum and I'm like, man, I'm it's a Ludwig. I'm going to buy it, you know, and it's it's it has nothing to do with, well, I don't like this guy anymore. I don't want to endorse his drums. You, You buy the gear that that makes you play your best and sound your best, just like you said, you know, and um Kevin, you know, is a small shop. Every time I needed a snare drum, you know, if if I said, "Hey man, I need you to send me another snare drum." He would be like, "Dude, I I don't have any time." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. So, yeah, and I thought about smaller companies that I really like. You know, uh definitely Sugar Percussion in California is up there. For me, they're just great people. Yeah, uh, and uh, that's what I'm really about. And like Ryan at uh, at Ludwig, I've only ever um, we've only ever corresponded through emails. But it's like maybe he doesn't feel this way, but I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that I mean, there's I think there's a friendship there. And I'm just that kind of guy, though. You know, like I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna want to be buds, even yeah. if it is business. You know, because man, we got to be happy in this life. There's no sense in being negative or I'm the artist. Take care of me. <laughs> like, no, man, I play, we play drums. Okay. That's like right. we're artists. Yes. But like we can, we can be civil and we can be cool, Yeah, you know? And it's like, man, I just, I feel like they, they haven't had to do much for me yet. And hopefully they don't have to do too much for me, you know, like, to like fix any problems or anything, but it's like they definitely took have taken care of me so much already, just from the little that I've asked of them. That like, yeah, it's it's perfect. That's fantastic, man. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear it. That's that's just super cool. And you know, we're we're big fans of Ludwig here at the Drum Shuffle, and you know, I own a whole bunch of their stuff and. I'll have to tell you about my 2012-14 kit uh, when we get done with the interview. I'll tell you all about it. There but, you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please, please. And Bosphorus Cymbals. I am a proud endorsee of Bosphorus Cymbals. They were my first. <laughs> uh, I got them a couple of years ago when we played with um, Margo Price at the Ryman. It was like... It was like a couple nights before that show, our first ramen show. And uh, cold email, just send it all. Like, <laughs> hey, let's, uh, I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? <laughs> and they were like, awesome. <laughs> That's let's cool. do it. <laughs> That's, That's essentially it. Yeah. We barely talk to each other. But anytime I just need one assemble. I just email them and say, hey, I would like this. They send me an invoice. They make it. I pay for it. They ship it to me from Turkey. <laughs> that's our relationship. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the great. best That's the best kind of relationship, you know? I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I kind of have that relationship with DoorDash. I'm like, Taco Bell, I, I need a burrito. And they bring it to me and I pay them for it. You know, I mean, what, what more could you ask for, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, obviously I would like to, you know, you know, talk to them a little bit, maybe a little more, but uh, it's all good. We got a we got a nice thing going. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Well, uh, but they've been, they've been great too. It's always been real fast. They make they make it for me, you know, as opposed to just letting me just grabbing one off the shelf and sending it. 
you know, so it's always a fresh thing. I can like instrument, I can break in. That's, that's, that's essentially what I'm pumped about right now with these drums. I got them. So I ordered them the end of June, didn't get them to August. And then I had to wait until we got back from Europe, which was like <laughs> mid September. Right. So they just sat at the local drum store in Charleston, West Virginia, where I bought them through. And I sat there for a couple of weeks and then, you know, uh, got them. And I was, I wanted a vintage lead rig because they sound the best. But I was worried about touring with it and it breaking down. Yeah. Finding parts, you know, because me moving, moving instruments is taxing. Yes, it is. You know, when you do it all the time. And so I was like, well, let's just go, let's get a new one. And, you know, it'll hold up a little better, but I was really pumped about just breaking in yeah. an instrument from the beginning. Well, and, and at the end of the day, all of the major drum manufacturers, if you take care of your stuff, it'll last you a lifetime. I mean, it, re- it really will. You know, I, I think yeah. a, a lot of us have, you know, gearitis or gear acquisition syndrome gas for short, you know, and, and everybody wants the... <laughs> the next nicest thing. But I, I mean, I think this is the fact of the matter that, that any drummer, if they really sit down and think about it, it doesn't matter if you're playing on a $200 kit, a $2,000 kit or a $20,000 kit, it's going to sound like you. I mean, that's, yeah, you, you know, I mean, I, I, that, that's my personal belief, but um, Absolutely. You know, um, so Rod, I, I want to be respectful of your time and, and we, we've almost come to the end here, but you know, a couple of things that I want to get in before we wrap up, uh, you know, I know you guys are doing this tour uh, starting in February. Uh, you, you guys are going out on the road with Sturgill Simpson and, and his band. What else do you have on the calendar for 2020? Um, you know, tell us if, if you give lessons and things like that, you know. Oh man, uh, mostly the all, all uh, this disturbable run is about as far as I'm looking okay. right now. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's uh, I don't look too far ahead, just far enough ahead to keep myself, you know, in the game. And uh, but uh, that's going to eat up a lot of time until about May, about mid-May, end of May, and uh, just trying to get through that, keeping my body healthy and stuff like that to get through it and. Uh, uh, I've been toying with Skype lessons, maybe, maybe starting to start doing that. I don't know yet. Okay. I'll throw something out, maybe, you know, trying to get like pages together. Yeah. Stuff like that. I've never really done anything like that before. So it's like, you know, we're all tinkering with a little bit of that. Cause we get a lot of downtime sometimes in between sound check and, you know, getting to a place and doing some other sort of stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, just just stuff like that right now. <laughs> I got you. That's cool. Well, do me this. Um, I, what are? Give us your Instagram, Facebook. Give us all your handles. So if people have questions or want to link up with you, they can. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, mostly uh, Instagram. I use that a lot. Uh, it's uh, Rod Elkins Drums. You know, R O D E L K I N S is my name. And drums, and uh, then uh, uh, Facebook's just Rod Elkins right now, um, toying with us, setting up a page, and kind of directing people over there um, here sometime this year. 
And uh, that's about it. I don't use any other platforms. Okay. Oh, and there's uh, everybody give a like to uh, and the food stamps Instagram uh, page. That's a good one. Okay. For all your comedic relief and content. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Fantastic. Well, before we wrap up, you know, it's our tradition here on the drum shuffle. We ask all of our guests for a good piece of advice and, you know, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and, and just say that, you know, you're one of the up and coming drummers uh, right now. You're doing incredible work. I really dig what you're doing. Your playing is fantastic with, with Tyler. Um, you know, I, I, I think I think you have a long career ahead of you, Rod, but uh, share with us a good piece of advice that all of us other drummers can take out there in our day to day life. Well, first off, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot when, you know, people dig your dig your cookie recipe. Yeah, <laughs> for know? sure, man, for and, sure. Uh, but uh, uh, I would have to say it's kind of a, uh, a threefold, simple, just relax. Stay relaxed. Stay focused. Stay the course. And stay out of your own head. Ah, yeah. And that's about it. Yeah, well, <laughs> that part about staying out of your own head, I think, is probably 98% of being a professional musician. I, I really do believe that. Um, it's so easy to overanalyze every note that you play or don't play. And like you said, relax. Just do your thing. Yeah. You, you wouldn't be there okay. if they didn't like you, right? Exactly. Exactly. So. And it's a constant struggle, you know. It's really easy to get in your head. It's really easy to overthink everything. But uh, hopefully, whatever gig anybody's got, hopefully you're around good enough people that help keep you grounded and talk you out of your own head when you can't get out of it yourself. Yeah. And I'm very fortunate to have people around me that, you know, when the, when I'm talking to the demons they pull me back. <laughs> yeah, that man, that's important to have that support system because this, you know, what you're doing is not an easy way of life for sure. You know, I mean, it, it just isn't. And, and we all get that, but, um, keep up the good work, man. You're doing killer work out there. Can't wait to see you guys when you guys come through town, uh, with Sturgill, I'm sure I'll be there, uh, and, and rooting you on, uh, Rod, thank you so much for taking time to come on the drum shuffle and talk with us for an hour. Uh, you're welcome here anytime. Keep us posted on what you got going on, and, and we'll do this again real soon. Cool. Thank you so much, man. I really enjoyed it. Appreciate All right. it. All right, brother. Be safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. All right. See ya. All right, everybody. That's going to wrap up episode 86 of the drum shuffle. Thank you so much for tuning in. We simply cannot do this show without you doing so each and every week. As always, I'm going to ask you to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use. If you like the show, give us a thumbs up, a star rating, a review. It really helps us in the search engines for people to find the drum shuffle that maybe haven't heard about the show yet. So if you could take a little bit of time out of your schedule to do that for us, we would certainly appreciate it. We do answer every single email that we receive. The Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com is where you can send us an email. 
Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com. And of course, you can find more information about me over at jamieeds.com. While you're there, look at those social media links for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We do try to keep up our social media output. You can follow us in those places as well. And we would appreciate that from you too. Now, we have some great guests coming up. We are still working to get Dina Torriello scheduled to come back on the show. Of course, Dina is now working uh, the Little Shop of Horror show on Broadway in New York. Uh, We're we're trying to get our times together. Uh, We have extended an invitation to Corey Coverstone of the awesome rock band Dirty Honey to come on the show. So we're trying to coordinate with him. We've got some great episodes coming up, so you're not going to want to miss those. So do hit that subscribe button again. Thank you so much for tuning in. We simply cannot do it without you. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.